1: Man, it's just a, such a blessing to be able to uh, spend time in that sort of worship and that kind of spirit and that kind of energy. God and God His Spirit is in this room, no doubt about it. Uh, again, we're so glad you're here this morning. We are in week three of a series, Churches That Heal. And I hope that you have, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, stepped into this, that you've leaned into this idea of the reality of the fact that there inside of you sits Hurt. It's brokenness, loss, pain, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, doubt, and on and on and on. When we started this series, the idea was to invite our church on a journey of trying to address the hurt that all of us have and the healing that we desperately need, and the healing that can only come through Jesus Christ. So we're about halfway through it now, and I appreciate Wes Raspberry last week sharing with you, uh, out of Luke 13, the parable of the fig tree, the story that Jesus shares with us about you got to dig it up, you got to fertilize, and you got to wait. The idea of bringing something that was lost, that was gone, that seemed dead, seemed pointless, useless, To life. So translate that today. And the message was the foundational principles of the healing journey are grace, truth, and time. That we must be willing to surround ourselves with grace, that we must pour truth into whatever it is that we're dealing with, and that we must be patient for God and His Spirit to work. And if we're willing to do those three things, as that parable reminded us of, we have an opportunity to begin building the foundation for healing. But this morning, we're switching gears a little bit. So that's the foundation of the healing journey. We're going to move to what I think is one of the most important aspects of healing, and that is the relational connection. Because here's the thing relationships, man, they're complicated, they're uncertain. They're immoral, unethical, painful, hurtful, devastating, scary, messy. And on occasion, sometimes relationships are actually what God created them to be perfectly good. And yet sometimes it seems that uh, those type of relationships are few and far in between. But here's the thing. Relational connection with one another is an essential part of the healing process, whatever it is that's going on in your life. And I know the last couple of weeks we've, we've really talked about the pain and the struggle and the reality of the hurt of the last two years that we all have experienced, that our community and our country and our world has experienced through the global pandemic of COVID. And, and we have talked about that. That's a real thing that so many people are hurting from. But we want to make sure you don't stop with this. This series is not about COVID. This series is about hurt, because the reality of it is the hurt that you experience may not be about COVID. It may be about your broken marriage from seven years ago. It may be about the abuse that you experienced 41 years ago. It may be about the job loss that happened three weeks ago. It may be about uh, the, the sense of loss that you've experienced in a relationship three years ago, the death of a loved one 12 years ago. Your hurt is unique to you, but what connects us all is that we all have it. We were created to be in relationship with one another, and God's divine, perfect plan his creation was to be connected to one another. From the moment we are born, we are born needing connection. What happens between a, an infant, a baby, a newborn baby and its mother, that's godly, it's divine, it's holy. It's a relational connection created by God. That relationship may change over the years, but the need for connection never does. And so that's what we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this morning. Um, But I've got a couple friends that are here with me. Some of you may know uh, Dr. Greg Patton and Kathy Patton. I'm going to invite them to come up on stage with me. Uh, I want to spend a few minutes, and I want you to have a chance to hear what I think is an incredibly powerful story, a life-changing story about relational connection. As you hear the story that they're going to share here in just a few minutes, I want you to listen for those moments in which... You hear and see God clearly working in a relational way that only He can work through human beings. Thank you for being here. I want to share with you all that um, Greg and Kathy had absolutely no desire to be up here on stage with me this morning, none whatsoever. In fact, when I told a few people that they were going to be here, they were actually shocked that they were going to get up on stage in front of people. Um, And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the fact that you're courageous enough to share your story. And um, and and what I hope will happen is I hope God will speak through you, speak through your story, and have an impact on people. I know uh, first service loved it, and and I think it will have the same impact. Uh, Okay, so let's let's kind of set the context a little bit. One year ago today by chance, this was, or maybe not, um, that, uh, that something very traumatic, a life-changing experience began. Kathy, you want to start us off? Help set the stage. What happened?
2: Okay, so on January 16th, 2021, um, Greg wanted to test because he had an exposure at work with a, with a patient. And so we both tested. Mine was negative, but his was positive. And we said, "Okay, we'll deal with it. And then through the week, his condition, um, well, the symptoms really escalated. And so on January 23rd last year, um, we we were actually sleeping in separate bedrooms. He told me to sleep in the guest room. We were trying to isolate, so I wouldn't get it since I tested negative. So uh, he came into the guest bedroom and he said, it's time. And it was like 5 a.m. And so I hopped up out of bed, you know, knew exactly what he meant. And we got in the car, called the kids um, from the car and told them we were on our way.
1: What what was going on with you, Greg, physically? What was happening to you?
3: I was just rapidly getting more and more short of breath, coughing, uh, just, just, Getting exhausted from trying
1: to breathe hard. So you could physically feel yourself declining. Dying. 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 Wow. Um, Okay. So you get Greg to the hospital. This is in the height and throes of of COVID. So obviously things were very chaotic. Tell me what happened.
2: So I left him in the car and I ran into the emergency room and I said, um, my husband's in the car, he's COVID positive and he can't breathe. And they said, okay, let's get him in. And we got him in and they took my name and number and they said, okay, you have to leave. I said, but I haven't said goodbye or mm. anything. And they said, you, you have to leave and they just walked me out the door. And so I got in the car thinking, I don't know mm. if I'll ever see him again.
1: Mm. Were you aware enough to know that you were in that hospital room, the ER, by yourself? That Kathy was not with you. And oh yeah, fully yeah. Aware what was going on with you? Uh, I was just thinking. I was thinking like a doctor. Yeah. It was
3: strange how unemotional I was. Mm-hmm. I just knew that my numbers were not good. I was not feeling well. I was dying. Yeah. And we needed to do something quickly.
1: Yeah. Obviously through this journey, the fact that you are a, a doctor and a medical professional, and both of you have a medical background, but but your journey was different, definitely to, to say the least. So mm-hmm. um, you get in the car and you realize the fact that you're going back home without Greg. Um, are, are you assuming things will probably be okay? Where Where are you mentally and emotionally at that point?
2: Well, I was split. Part of me thought, okay, he'll be here for a few days, so I'll give him some oxygen, and then he'll come home, and we'll have a recovery process. And the other part of me, knowing what the numbers meant in the course of yeah. COVID, yeah. said, this is not going to go well.
1: Okay, so you started, uh, you started the journey of being at home. You were able to text with him for a, a day or, or so? couple days that
2: that first day but okay. um he was intubated later that
1: night. okay well yeah we, and we had a
3: cardiologist friend there that was looking at the numbers and the x-rays and updating her with the information which yeah. wasn't good
1: yeah so what he what you were basically feeling was um his decline is real and it's happening and this is not looking good and and even even more than that you can't be there you can't get to him he can't get to you and you can't even see him much less Touch him, be be with him, um, and then at some point you told the medical staff that you you requested to, to be, be on a ventilator. ventilator. Yeah, you wanted to be put on a ventilator.
3: Uh, you know, again, I knew I was in the process of dying. I was just tired of suffering and suffocating.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, not many people actually request to be put on a ventilator. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. No, I just want to.
1: The intensivist yeah.
2: called me at home and said. Um, Ms. Patton, your husband has requested to be intubated. <laughs> and I said, do it. Just yeah, do that's
1: right. He's he's gonna Okay. And that was your medical knowledge saying, I've got to make this next step if I have any chance of in. And so you did. So you requested that, which obviously at that point, your recollection of what happened for, for yeah, after once, that is gone. Once you're intubated, you're sedated. Right. Yep. You're, you don't know what's going on. So what is the journey like for you? You now know that your husband is in a, in a hospital. He's been moved to an ICU room, intubated, not being able to communicate with him, not being able to talk to him. You're getting second and third hand information it's rough, but at least you're getting something. You're not really able to talk to the people at the hospital very well. The communication is rough, as you can imagine, in the chaos of, of COVID. You're literally at home just completely disconnected.
3: And I kept dying on the ventilator. And you kept... The numbers dying. kept getting worse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Your decline and your inevitable death seems certain. Where are you mentally and emotionally during those next several days or week?
2: It was our kids. Mm.
1: Mm. What'd they do? They
2: were there every single minute. They wouldn't leave me alone for one.
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, I don't feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> but sort of. Yeah. But yeah. There was, there was not a moment that I was left alone.
1: They were there with you constantly. constantly. Yeah. And that was a source of strength for you to get through what seems indescribably hard. Yes. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, okay, so help, help us continue on in the journey. You're, you're trying to get into the hospital to see him, and you're getting turn, told no at every corner. You're getting angry. You're getting mad. You're maybe saying some things that you later apologize for, but it's okay. God's grace is big. We're, amen. So we're, we're, you're, you're having a battle to try to get in to see your, your husband who is dying, and finally you're able to get in. Tell me about the day when they finally said, okay.
2: Um, So they they finally let me in, and I walked in, and he was, I mean, it just didn't look like himself. Mm. Um, And I had FaceTimed with him one time, um, a nurse arranged, and he looked so good. He was peaceful. But when I went in, after all of the ups and downs, he did not.
1: So just physically, his body had um, taken its toll on his body.
2: I was thinking, he's
1: okay. So what did you do? What did you do when you walked in the room? What was the first thing you did or thought or felt?
2: Well, I, I started praying over him. Um, we mm. have a friend who asked me, what have you been praying? And I said, well, I've been praying for him for healing and recovery. And he said, no, no, you're doing it wrong. I said, okay. oh, okay, mm. <laughs> well, mm. what do I need to do? And he said, you, you and Gray have a covenant with God and you are one and you need to pray over him as one. He is your other half, and that's why I began doing, and you can can look back and see his numbers begin to improve.
1: You shared with me that because of all the equipment that was around his bed, there were no chairs, there was no, the traditional hospital room was not traditional because of everything that was going on, that that you stood, visiting hours were from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You stood by his bed. 12 hours a day and praying, he, praying, over him. praying
3: over him. And there were forces trying to force her out yeah. of the ICU. Yeah. Both patients on each side of me died during her, Wow. my stay there. So there were definitely e- negative forces trying to push her out yeah. of that room.
1: Yeah. And Greg, you shared at the first service that uh, Kathy definitely passed the I love you test. Yes. She yes. passed the I love you test. She def-
3: definitely passed that. Yes. standing for 12 hours yeah. in an ICU. Day after day. Watching your loved one yeah. on the ventilator is probably one of the hardest yes. things you can do. That's
1: probably one of those things we should include in premarital counseling is, are you willing to stand for 12 hours day after day when there's no chair? What an incredible, What an incredible experience. So you're standing there. You're praying over him. Everything, every doctor, every friend doctor that you know, who is trying to be as optimistic as possible, everything is is trending towards, he's not going to make it. And in fact, your family even began having conversations about the reality of what seemed inevitable.
2: I mean, we were talking about the numbers. We would Google um, medical journals. What is the, what does this mean um, in, re, in regards to COVID? And it, it just did not.
3: Background. We have a daughter who's an ICU nurse. Yeah. We have a son that's a paramedic and uh they were looking at the numbers and th- there was nothing good that they could say. Yeah.
1: yeah. there was, there was a whole lot more trending negatively than positively. Um, but you were able to be in there. You began, your presence began to be there, even as he is unaware of it, unconscious, unaware of it day in and day out, praying over him, being there with him. And the doctors began seeing what seemed like improvement. So they, so they decided that they were going to take a chance. And so, they removed everything and said, let's see how he does. And it was not a perfect journey. There was obviously some stumbles along the way, but the bottom line is he began recovering. And I think some people use the word miraculous in the fact that they thought he was dead. He shouldn't be alive. And yet he is. Yeah. Um, During that journey of seeing him beginning to heal, what were you I mean, can you take me back to what you were thinking and feeling? Were you you cautiously optimistic? Were you excited and full of joy and hope? Were you just, was there uncertainty? Where where were you at as far as you're seeing him improve? He's not there yet, but he's definitely better than he was three days ago and two weeks ago.
2: When he was extubated, he he didn't know me. He still had ICU delirium. He was very confused. And um, when he woke up, he said, who are you? I said, your wife. He said, you're Mm. not my wife. Get out of the room. And, Mm. you know. Mm. And I, I I don't know. I, I guess I never really thought about how I would react to that, but I just stood there. I stayed. Yeah. I mean, you know, working next door, you see that a lot. Yeah. Where the spouses don't recognize each other. She passed the
3: second I love you test.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even when you tried to push her away, she's not going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So from the moment you walked in the, the, the hospital to the moment you left was a month, 30 days, 30 days that you fought for your life, that people fought for your life on your behalf, Greg. Um, you finally get the news that you're gonna be released. You go home. Tell me what those first couple days were like being back home following this incredible 30-day experience.
2: Well, he couldn't walk. He couldn't mm-hmm. get out of a chair. He, I mean, he basically couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He had to relearn everything. So that it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but he w- he would um, he w- always wanted to touch me to know I was there
3: Greg wouldn't sleep be? for two weeks after we got home I think it was just getting all the narcotics and the drugs out of my system uh, and finally I realized that if I could touch her at night mm. it would relax me well enough to go to sleep
1: Wow that's powerful that is powerful Um... Thank you. I know this wasn't easy. I know. I, I asked, a, it was a big ask for you to recall some of these things. Um, and I know that, Greg, you're still on a journey of healing. You you are back practicing, but you're not back to 100%, and you're dealing with some some things. And so we continue to pray for blessings of healing and recovery for you. And
3: Well, Matt, I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to thank you and the elders at this church for for me. Also.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of people in this church that they may not have even have known who you were, but they were praying for you. They were lifting your name up. And and it's an incredible it's an, it's an incredible testimony to the healing power mm-hmm. of our God. So church, we thank Greg and Kathy for being here. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and I think it's just a, I think it's a beautiful story. And I, I like I said, it was not easy to, to ask them to come up and, and share a, a literal life and, and death story, but it was a life-changing experience uh, for this couple. And to hear the story of the fact that there is a clear and distinct marker, a line of recovery when Kathy was able to physically be in the presence of her husband again. Because Greg wasn't alone. He was surrounded by doctors and nurses and medical professionals constantly, but it was the healing power of the relational connection with his wife that doctors have accredited his healing mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Healed. That's the power of relationship. We have the ability if we are open and vulnerable and transparent in our relationship and our connection with one another, for God to use us to affect change on other people. It's not some hokey supernatural thing. It's not some weird magical thing. It's innate within us. It's the, it's the image of God. We were created to be in connection with one another, church. And whether it's your spouse or it's your coworker, or it's your neighbor, or it's your friend, or whoever, somebody at church. We were made to be in relationship with one another, and through those divine relationships, God can do miraculous things. Believe that. It's real, and it's true. Most of you are familiar with Paul and his incredible journey of coming to faith And then the impact, no one had a greater impact uh, outside of Jesus, in my opinion, and on the early church than Paul, the incredible work that he did for Christianity. He was a, a, a spiritual giant in many ways. And yet, if you're familiar with his story, you're also familiar with the fact that his life was full of incredible pain and hardship and oppression and abuse and isolation and neglect. And I want to pull out just one little snapshot, a moment out of 2 Corinthians to share with you. I think it really paints a picture of the power and the opportunity of relationship. In in, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul said, "'For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus.'" And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So the background very quickly is Paul had written a letter. It was not received very well. There was some tension and uncertainty and disagreement with with the church and the people and Paul, and, and there was desire to reconcile it. Um, to, to, to come to a, re, a, a repentive moment and, and to just try to, try to move forward. But there was a lot of junk and a lot of stuff happening around this. And, and Paul was down. I mean, he was hurting. He was sad. He was disconnected and frustrated and lost. And I love what happens. Because if I can replace that word, downcast. Depressed, low in spirit, dejected, lost. That verse five, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Maybe you've experienced a little bit of that at some point in your life. The conflict seemed to be all around you, the fear inside of you. The sense of uncertainty and not what to do next. Fear has grabbed a hold of you. And he says, But God who comforts the downcast, that's me, that's all of us, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God didn't send an army of angels, He didn't send a, a supernatural defense mechanism to protect Paul. He sent a friend. He sent a guy named Titus. In verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. This is really, really key. Don't miss this. Paul was comforted by the fact that Titus was there, his presence his connection, his relationship with him. It brought comfort and peace to an otherwise very difficult moment and season in his life. But what Paul acknowledged was the comfort that I was getting from Titus, Titus received from somebody else. Don't miss that. We have an incredible opportunity and even more so responsibility that when we have received the healing comfort of God, to share it with somebody else. Church, we cannot keep our healing to ourselves. Our healing is not for us, our healing is for the world to know who Jesus Christ is. And Titus could have very easily said, man, I'm good now, I don't wanna get in the middle of all that. but he stepped into it. We cannot keep our healing to ourselves, Church, I think it's an incredibly challenging opportunity for us and a powerful responsibility placed upon us for the world to see who Jesus Christ is And how much God loves them by how we relationally connect and love one another and know one another and walk with one another and help heal one another. In John 17, Jesus had a prayer, the last couple verses. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Church, the world is never going to know who Jesus Christ really is. And the world is never going to know how much God loves them by our clever sermons, by our powerful worship experiences, by our fancy church buildings, or our ability to memorize scripture. At the end of the day, the world is going to know who Jesus Christ is and how much God loves them by how we love one another and by how we take that love into the world Amidst everything that wants to separate and isolate and polarize and disconnect. We want to be one. We want to be unified in divine relationship, in connection with one another, as God created us to be. I want to close this morning with some words from the great theologian, Winnie the Pooh. It occurred to Pooh and Piglet that they hadn't heard from Eeyore for several days, so they put on their hats and coats and trotted across the hundred acre wood to Eeyore's stick house. Inside the house was Eeyore. Hello, Eeyore, said Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Hello, Piglet, said Eeyore in a gloom sounding voice. We just thought we'd check in on you, said Piglet, because we haven't heard from you, and so we wanted to know if you were okay. Eeyore was silent for a moment. Am I okay? He asked eventually. Well, I don't know, to be honest. Are any of us really okay? That's what I ask myself. All I can tell you, Pooh and Piglet, is that right now I feel rather sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all. Which is why I haven't bothered you, because you wouldn't want to waste your time hanging out with someone who is sad and alone and not much fun to be around at all. Now would you? Pooh looked at Piglet, and Piglet looked at Pooh, and they both sat down, one on either side of Eeyore in his stick house. Eeyore looked at them in surprise. "What are you doing?" "We're sitting here with you," said Pooh. "Because we're friends, and true friends don't care if someone is feeling sad or alone or not much fun to be around at all. True friends are there for you anyway." And so here we are. Oh said Eeyore. Oh. And the three of them sat there in silence, and while Pooh and Piglet said nothing at all, somehow, almost imperceptibly, Eeyore started to feel a very tiny little bit better. Because Pooh and Piglet were there. No more, no less. Just there. Church, sometimes that's all we have to be is just be willing to be there. Nothing was going to keep Kathy Patton from getting in those doors and being where she needed to be. And Greg had no idea she was there. But God used her, her presence and her relationship and her connection to bring about healing. And I believe that. Pray with me, please. Father... This idea of relationships is hard. It's complicated and it doesn't make sense sometimes, God. And and as uh, as challenging and difficult and painful and hard as so many of our relationships are, our marriages, our friendships, our our co-worker relationships and neighbor relationships, and God, I pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us transparency and, and honesty and truthfulness, for you to work through us. God, sometimes we're the ones that need to receive the healing and and give us the the ability to be open to receive your healing from those around us. And sometimes you need to use us to be your hands and your feet in healing others and give us that same openness and that same courage. God, give us the ability to, to reflect your love and your grace and your mercy to this world through how we love one another how unified we are and how we connect with one another. God, I pray that the world will know who you are by how we simply love one another. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Stand up, please, and we'll close our time this morning. This is my prayer for us. May we be a people willing to be trusting and vulnerable and open to step into difficult things and allow God to heal us and to use us to heal those we are connected to. And may we, like Pooh and Piglet, be willing to just be there so that the world would know who Jesus is and how much God loves him. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.